Hey guys, Zach Drew here. Welcome to the show. I'm going to be speaking about something in the next few minutes that's going to be a tough pill for many to swallow. And it really, it's basically asking the question, does Donald Trump secretly want to be impeached? Now, before I go on, how radical does that sound? Very radical. Listen to the next few minutes, and I believe that you're going to walk away probably believing much in the same fashion that we believe here. It seems truly that it would be the only way for him to actually drain the swamp if that's still what he wants to do. And I'm going to explain more about that in just a few seconds. But right now, can I ask you to do me a favor? Would you consider telling someone about our show? We want to be one of your homes for alternative news through a Christian perspective. If this show has blessed you in any capacity, tell a couple people that you think would be interested. Tell them about our show or even, you know, share it on your social media. I feel the best way for us to grow right now in this current season is simply by word of mouth. Uh, also, if you would want to partner with us financially, that info is on the screen right now. So one of President Trump's uh, biggest campaign promises in 2016 was what? It was to drain the swamp, uh, it particularly drain the swamp in Washington, D.C., and as one of his voters, I am sure I am not alone in noticing that hasn't taken place to the degree I expected or really any of us expected. Now, the reasons for that are unknown. Um, you know, did he get in the office and see just how much ground the deep state actually controls? Understanding now you often think about him in that moment becoming president, being debriefed on everything, how everything operates. You know, understanding in that very moment to drain the swamp could literally crash the world systems, you know, to implicate a few would ultimate, ultimately implicate too many. I mean, what system of the world do you think the DC deep state doesn't have its tentacles in? You know, and that's just one possibility. Maybe, maybe he hasn't drained the swamp because they're hanging something over his head, blackmailing him. You know, if you, if you come after us, we will expose X, Y, and Z. You know, with that being said, I'm going to say Donald Trump has done an incredible amount of good for this country. One of the best things is simply sitting in, being the commander of chief, sitting in that Oval Office for the, for four years, holding back the radical left's agenda. I mean, can you imagine where we would be if Hillary Clinton was in office? The censorship of Christians. I mean, tech companies would have felt like they could do anything. I mean, that's just one example. But irregardless of all of that, he hasn't drained the swamp, and his voters know this. And the elections next year could the greatest showdown in the in the Trump presidency still be before us to drain the swamp in a way that no one saw coming well i want to talk to you about something that i feel could be very important it's a message that was sent to Rick Joyner someone who i know well and absolutely trust this message was received by Rick and it was made known over the weekend and was sent to him by a, a, a good friend. Now, Rick posted a message concerning that letter, which basically said this. If you want to know why Trump supporters and even Trump himself seem to want an impeachment trial, this explains why. This is so radical. It's so interesting. The man, So the man writing this letter, he has a degree in political science and is a card-carrying libertarian. All right, He's been studying politics and political history for over 30 years. And his specialty is U.S. presidents. With that said, he hopes that the House of Representatives impeaches Trump. 
He then goes on to explain what would happen next. So here it is. The House can pass articles of impeachment over the objections of Republicans and refer to the Senate for trial. And two, the Senate will conduct a trial. There'll be a vote. And the Republicans will vote unanimously, along with a small number of Democrats, to not convict the president. Legally, it'll all be over at that point. However, during the trial, and this is what no one is thinking about right now, the president's attorneys will have the right to subpoena and question anyone that they want. Let that sink in. That is different than the special counsel investigation, which was very one-sided. So, during the impeachment trial, we will be hearing testimony from James Comey, Peter Stork, Lisa Page, Bruce Ork, Lynn Simpson, Donna Brazil, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch, Christopher Steele, Hillary Clinton, there's what goes to my mic, John Brennan, James Clapper, and a whole host of other participants in this, well, sordid affair and ensuing cover-up activities. A lot of dirt will be dug up. A lot of truth will be unveiled. Finger-pointing will occur. Deals will start being made. And suddenly... A lot of Democrats will start being charged and going to prison. All this because, remember, the president's team will now, for the first time, have the right to question all of these people under oath. And they will turn on each other. And that's already starting. Lastly, one more thing will happen. The Senate will not convict the president. Nothing will happen to Trump. Most Americans are clueless about political processes, the law and the Constitution. Most Americans believe that being impeached results in removal from office. They don't understand that phase two is, is a trial and by the Senate where he has zero chance of conviction. Remember, the Senate is controlled by Republicans. They will determine what testimony is allowed and everything will be allowed, including DNC collusion with the Clinton campaign to fix the election in favor of Hillary, the creation of the Trump dossier, the cover-up, the destruction of emails that very likely included uh, incriminating information, they'll incriminate each other for lying to the FISA court, for spying and wiretapping the Trump campaign, and for colluding with foreign political actors, especially George Soros. After the Senate declines to convict the president, we will have an election, and Trump will win. It'll be a backlash. Uh, truly, I mean, there'll be Democrat, I mean, temper tantrums, hypocrisy and dishonesty. Even minorities will vote for Trump because they'll really, for the first time, they'll see that Democrats have spent two plus years focused on maintaining their own power and not about anything at all about black murders in Chicago or homelessness or opioids or other important issues that are actually killing people. And we'll spend the following four years listening to politicians and pundits claim that the whole impeachment was somehow rigged. So, could it be, and this, this, this is one man's opinion, could it be that Donald Trump is orchestrating something? And that's why, that's why some Trump supporters that understand this process want him to be impeached because they understand just because you're impeached doesn't mean you're, leave, you're gonna leave office, but he will have the legal right to question absolutely anybody he wants. So, for example, just in the news this week, when you have the former FBI deputy, Andrew McCabe, saying, I think it was on Thursday, that he feels strongly that Congress should, you know, step up to the plate and do their job and impeach President Donald Trump, maybe Donald Trump is okay with that. 
or speaking at the NAACP uh, convention in Detroit, senators and 2020 candidates, including Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker, how they were saying how Mueller had already laid out a persuasive case that the president had broken the law by trying to obstruct the Mueller's probe. Maybe, just maybe the president is, is okay with that. If he truly is about still draining that swamp in D.C., I mean, I don't know. I don't know the president's heart. I don't intimately know the president. But if that is still his heart, that is the way to go about it. The best way to go about draining the swamp in D.C. would actually for would actually be for him to go through the process of being impeached while still remaining in office. Wow. And, and, and this is incredible. You know, we're going to take a short break. And joining me right after this will be co-host Andrew Bellers. And we're going to be covering some of the powerful technology news stories of this week next. Hi, this is Michael Snyder from the Economic Collapse blog. And many of you know me from uh, my appearances on the Jim Baker Show. And when I first started going down to Morningside, it was Zach Drew that really made an effort to make me feel welcome and to, and to bring me into the Morningside family. And we developed a very special bond. And ever since that time, Zach has become a good friend. And I'm so excited that he's now started his own ministry. He's trying to reach the world uh, from there in central Illinois through his new program. And I just want to encourage all of you to do what you can to support him, to, uh, to uh, uh, sow seed into this ministry. It's good soil. Zach's doing a great job. And we need ministries like this in these times uh, in this time before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to help reach the world to win as many souls as possible because you know we believe that God is going to do something special in this generation. God is raising up a remnant that is going to reach the world with the gospel that's going to bring in the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever seen and that's going to move in all the fruit, all the gifts, all the power of the Holy Spirit like, like we haven't seen since the book of Acts. So thank you guys. Support Zach Drew. Support his new ministry. And uh, and we just love and appreciate Zach Drew so much. And we're thankful uh, that uh, you all are watching. Just go to our website at ZachDrewShow.com. Click that bright orange donate button now. And don't forget to click that automated payment method so we know we can count on you each month. You can also write us at IGBY PO Box 797, Decatur, Illinois 62525. So last week we talked about Elon Musk. Yes. First of all, just he's an interesting fella. He really is. <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about his character, but I mean, if you have a chance just to go and watch, uh, you know, this is my field. I love technology, so I've watched so many of the interviews of Elon Musk. He's just an interesting man. He's kind of weird, you know? He's like a. I don't know. There's just there's he's, something odd about him. He's fun to watch. Yeah, I'll say that. he's not a. He's just he's just an interesting guy, almost like a mad, crazy scientist. That it's like you know one of those type of things. You know, it's one of those type of things. Where it's like you you go by a car accident, you can't help but to look. <laughs> I don't want to refer to Elon Musk as a car accident, but there's just something odd, just weird about him that uh, is interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, so he's a billionaire of the world, mad, mad scientist, has all the you know wealth they'd ever want and all the the manpower that he'd ever need. And we covered last week um, Neuralink, his brain microchip company that was established in 2017 and how they have been making just incredible progress. Talking yeah. about the electrodes that current brain uh, chip micro, brain microchips have right now that are used 
with like Parkinson's that have been FDA approved, they have something called 10 electrodes, yes. right? Neurons firing. Well, the brain chip that he's creating now, like we've said last week, 10,000 electrodes. So it's a, a, a thousand times, yeah. be- a thousand times better than anything that's on the market. Yes. Okay. But we want, we want to talk about something. We're millennials. We love technology. We're not going, we're not Amish. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't turn our own butter. Okay. <laughs> like I'm not up in the morning milking cows. Like a technology is a part of our lives, but we've got to be really careful, Andrew, yeah. about how much technology we do let in. But we can't ignore, and we're not going to just ignore it. We're going to talk about this today. There are incredible things that this brain microchip will do for humanity. Now, when should we just say, absolutely not, we're not going to be a part of this in, in any way? I don't know. I don't think that day is here yet. Mm-hmm. But if, I mean, if we're against all technology being embedded within us, then we'll say no to you know uh, pacemakers. My uncle just had a uh, pacemaker. There's three things put into his heart. Yeah. And it's old technology. It's actually sending data to his doctors in real time. Incredible things. Should he not have that? Should he, you know, go live out on a farm off the grid? No, I don't think so. Now, I'd be much more comfortable with the first phase of brain whatever if it was a wearable rather than being embedded. I don't like the embedded thing. Right. I mean, where you have no choice. It's just there and it's always collecting data. Exactly. And you can't turn it off. So as as the year and as the years progress, we will be giving more detailed commentary of what whenever we think, no, now is the point. Do not take a part of this at any time. I'm telling you right now that if, if for example, the first patient that gets this next year, I think it's a dumb decision. I think it's very dumb. Do not put this thing in your head. But I do not think that the person that puts this in their head next year, that thing is exactly the mark of the beast. There'll be no question about it. There's no turning back from the mark of the beast, okay? But listen, we're going to just talk about a couple of different things Mm -hmm. that are really cool that Neuralink is going to be able to accomplish with the brain chips. And then we are going to end with something that, honestly, it probably doesn't... The good things pale in comparison to, honestly, the end goal. And it's going to be literally stealing your memories. It could steal your memories. It'll take control over your thoughts. So, but on a bright note, we want to talk about some of the good things that it can do. When the first phase of what Neuralink is building is finished, they will be able to reach anywhere within the motor cortex with their chips. The motor cortex is the region of the cerebral cortex involving planning, control, and execution of voluntary movements. Yeah. Here is the senior scientist at Neuralink, Philip Sabies giving a couple of interesting examples of what that will look like. The devices that we're talking about, because of their high bandwidth um, and the ability to tailor the location of each individual electrode to a person's individualized cortical anatomy, we should be able to reach anywhere in motor cortex. So for example, um, there are areas um, at at the base of motor cortex that are responsible for driving activation of the speech articulators. There was a recent lovely study from UCSF that um, showed uh, that from activity like that, you can actually decode uh, speech. So you can, you can decode the movement of the articulators, and from that, you can create synthetic speech. Uh, so potentially, with a device like this, you could restore speech to a paralyzed person who's no longer able to talk. But there's no reason in principle that we can't reach all of motor cortex. And that would give us access to any movement that a person thinks about, any movement at all. A person could imagine running 
or dancing, or even kung fu, and we would be able to decode that signal. So that could give a paralyzed person the ability to control, say, for example, a 3D avatar that they could use for online gaming or sports. It could allow them to control a wide range of assistive robotic devices. And ultimately, if and when the technology for spinal cord, nerve, or muscle stimulation gets far enough, ultimately, it could be used to restore that individual's control of their own body. Restoring speech to a paralyzed person who cannot talk, giving them the ability to communicate. We can't argue with that. That's amazing. Yeah, why would you ever say no to that? Yeah, exactly. Giving a paralyzed person the ability to, this is kind of cool, creating 3D avatars for gaming and for sports. I mean, that's, that's pretty neat. But it gets more interesting. Prosthetics. You were the one that really, I mean, brought this kind of to me, like, wow, this is really neat. And, and restoring the sense of touch yeah. to your hands when you have no hands. It's insane. It's incredible. This, once again, this is the senior scientist at Neuralink, Philip Sabies, talking about their new technology and how it could revolutionize prosthetics. So let's start um, with the sense of touch. Consider this little bit of, of tissue, that, uh, of brain that I've just highlighted here, that's at the border between motor and somatosensory cortex. So if we blow that up, uh, what you can see is that um, somatosensory cortex has a very special property. It has what we refer to as spatial, a spatial map. And what I mean by that is that there are regions that encode the palm of the hand and each of the five digits, for example. So if we were to stimulate at one little location, say in the thumb part of the, of the cortex, the person would feel a sense of touch or pressure on their thumb. Or if we were to stimulate two sites uh, on the palm, in the palm area of cortex, you might feel a couple of points or touches on your hand. This kind of technology has been demonstrated in, in many academic labs. And in a recent uh, really nice paper, it was shown that uh, with subjects controlling a robot arm through BMI, getting tactile feedback of when that arm or when the hand of that arm was grasping an object improved the ability to pick up and place objects with the robot. So this is, this is the kind of thing that can really help uh, decoding. So imagine what we could do if we're able to take our device and cover all of somatosensory cortex. We could give rich sensation of objects, of haptic feedback when you're manipulating objects. We could maybe feel different textures. Um, but it's not just about improving the user experience. It's also about getting to the level of functionality that we want. Uh, imagine for a second, imagine typing. Now imagine typing with your fingers anesthetized. That's going to be pretty hard. So that haptic feedback, that sense of sensory feedback during movement is going to be important going forward. So basically what he's saying there is that there is a part of your brain that is responsible for uh, your sensory nerves, what, what you're feeling. And what he's saying is that they can actually hack your brain and teach your brain to feel things in a prosthetic hand that is not your own, as if it yeah. was your hand. It's crazy. It's like your brain, which is more visible than mine, um, I'm just kidding. It's like there's a part of your brain. I'm getting there. That's a deep cut. There, there's a part of your brain 
Andrew, that imagine like, and I'm not a neuroscientist, oh my goodness, like, like we don't understand how this, how the brain completely works. So understanding this in the same way, just, you know, reading the articles, watching the videos in the same way you do, I don't know the right terminology, but there are millions of little places on your brain that can be triggered, that can be stimulated, so to speak. So there is a part of your brain that if they poke it with one of these little threads that'll fire these electrodes through the neurons or however you say that, it'll tell your brain, poke that part of the brain and now I'm feeling something in my thumb. That's in, that's incredible. And what's even more incredible is you can feel it in your thumb that is not your own. That's in right. In some thumb that they have put on you. You fire electrodes in your brain so that you can literally feel what a robotic hand is feeling, even though it's not even a part of your body. It's incredible. It's incredible. Hey, how about curing blindness? Neuralink says they have the answer. So uh, that sensory feedback uh, for the hand, we can also potentially provide visual feedback. So uh, visual cortex, just like somatosensory cortex, has maps. So uh, there's a spatial map in visual cortex, which is here in orange in the back of the brain. So for example, if we stimulate a particular point in cortex, we might see a flash of light uh, in, a, in a little punctate spot in front of us. And this was demonstrated many years ago um, in, in, by neurosurgeons, and it's been used in academic labs, and that we call that little dot a phosphine. And you know, if you stimulate another area, you'll get a phosphine in a different location. So the idea here is that you could stimulate a bunch of different areas, and you could create kind of like a dot, dot matrix image of the visual world, which could provide a rudimentary form of vision. And there are academic labs and, and even companies that are working on technology just like this. But there isn't just one map in visual cortex. Actually, there are a bunch of different maps. This is a good example of how the brain works. There's a spatial map, but there are also there are also maps telling you about the orientation of edges in the field. There are maps telling you about color. There are maps telling you about the size and speed of objects moving. So what we want is a device that has sensors that are small enough, electrodes that are small enough, and a high enough density that we can tap into that rich collection of maps with our stimulation devices so that we can do better than just dot matrix so that we can actually create rich visual feedback for the blind. That's, that's the long-term goal. The technology that is being developed with these BCIs, these brain computer interface, these brain microchips, it's gonna be unbelievable. It is. But we were going to, what we we're going to play in the next clip though was really concerning. I think the most alarming thing that was said was said last, and it was missed on so many people in this presentation. I honestly think that they didn't elaborate on it for a reason. This clip is about the brain helping cognitive function like memory. All right, lastly, I want to tell you about um, not just sensory input and motor output, but about, about thought. So there are parts of the brain where we know that there's neural activity that encodes the things that you're thinking about. And one great example is an area called the hippocampus. Uh, the hippocampus is involved in memory formation, and it helps store uh, episodic memory, things that you remember from your life. It also has a, a, a particular kind of memory for locations and views that, that you know. Um, 
For example, um, it'll have cells that represent places in your own home or in a city that you know well. So imagine that you had, that you could record from a collection of neurons in the hippocampus of somebody who lived in San Francisco and knew it well. Then it's likely that they would have some neurons there in the hippocampus that represent various locations in Golden Gate Park. And so if that person were to take a car ride, for example, from the ocean through the park, you would see those neurons fire in order as they took that, that ride. First a neuron that maybe represents a view of the ocean, and then the bison in their paddock, and so on. So that particular clip started out with the lead scientist saying this. This is very important. I not only want to tell you about sensory input and motor output, but about thought. Now, he made it abundantly clear throughout his presentation that he wasn't just telling us about sensory input and motor output. He just said that. He said, I've been telling you about sensory, uh, sensory input and motor output, but now I want to tell you about, talk to you about thought. No, he wasn't telling us about sensory input and motor output. He was specifically telling us how the, the microchip would have complete control over the brain when it comes to sensory input and motor output. He wasn't just telling us about it. It wasn't a history lesson. Right. But now his verbiage has changed because he can't say, listen, I was telling you how the brain chip is going to have power over your sensory input and motor output, and now it's going to have power over your thought. No, he can't say it like that. Right. Notice how his verbiage has changed. Why? Because the masses are somewhat okay talking about how a brain chip could have control for our benefit over our sensory inputs and motor outputs. But as soon as you start talking about a chip controlling your thoughts, it's a whole different ballgame. Yes. And it was missed on so many. He's literally telling you that they would have control over it. Read between the lines, understanding what, what he's actually saying. They would have control over your hippocampus, the place where your memories are made and stored. If you really go back and watch that, and go back and watch the entire presentation if you can, he talked about that particular thing much different than everything else. It was almost like he was, you could tell that he had to be really careful what he was saying in that moment. Yes. Because they would have complete control over where your memories are made and stored. Yeah, because what he talked about with sight and with feelings, he said that we can put feelings and we can put images into your brain and we can take them out. And he was wow. comparing those things to your thoughts. We can put thoughts into your brain and we can take them out. We can put memories in and out of your brain. Exactly. Now, they wouldn't be able to do this with the first phase of the BCIs. That's why that's I'm just saying, like, well, where do people draw the line? If you don't have, if you served in our country, you don't have arms and legs. Should you take this? I'm not saying you shouldn't take this. Phase one, even though it's kind of scary, What's the difference between a, a pacemaker? But there's going to be a line that we draw, and we're going to have to draw it together as the body of Christ. It reminds me of Brian Johnson, which I absolutely guarantee that Elon Musk at LearnLink is collaborating with. He said about a year and a half ago, that listen to this article. I, I went back in the archives to get this. This is from Express UK. Superhumans. Chips inserted in brains will give us mind-blowing abilities within years. Superhumans could exist in just 15 years thanks to a computer chip inserted into the brain to unlock mankind's full potential. This is Brian Johnson. He's the CEO of Braintree, which specializes in mobile and web payment. Uh, well, that's a whole other story. Braintree, he had Braintree, and it was sold to EB for $800 million. And from that is whenever he invested into his brain microchip company called Kernel. He said this 
He said this on stage at a web summit conference in front of tens of thousands of people. People will be able to buy new memories and delete unwanted ones in the near future. Wow. Colonel's first step is to design chips that can help fight disease. But then it comes to evolve the brain to offer superhuman abilities. Listen, he made he said in the in in, in the presentation, Philip Sabies, the head scientist, that they were collaborating with other people within the United States that are working towards the same goal. How could you not be working with Brian Johnson and Brian Johnson has made it abundantly clear what the goal is. Listen, this is this is really radical stuff. He literally said you could have a programmer completely write a memory of every single thing of what it was what it would be to be like to live in the 1800s to be a cowboy. Have it inserted into your brain and you literally know what it would feel like. You would have these new memories. It's a radical thing. But what could they do? whenever the Antichrist would have control over this. What could he do to the Christian population? If one day this is mandatory to get, that is where we draw the line. And anybody that you wouldn't even have early church memories or anything like that, they could literally go in and hack the brain and delete them. And the technology is being built right now. We are living in the end days. The religious leaders of the time in Jesus' day they could interpret the signs of the weather, but they couldn't interpret the signs of the time. Let us not be like that. Let us be able to understand the signs of the time. We're living in the end days. Make sure your heart is right with Jesus. 